As Michael said, it's good to have each one of you here today for our Sunday morning worship period. If you're visiting with us, we are always happy and glad to have visitors. And please come back anytime you can, can visit with us and be here with us. The story is told about a man who decided to become a monk and join a monastery. And one of the rules of that monastery was that you were only allowed to speak two words at the end of every ten years. Two words. So after his first ten years at the monastery, he said to the head monk, food bad. At the end of his second ten years, he said, bed hard. So finally, at the end of his third ten years, on his 30th anniversary at the monastery, he said to the head monk, I quit. And the head monk said, well, that's no surprise. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've been here. Now, I hope that little story would not describe any of us. That we've done nothing but complain ever since we've been here. This morning, we're going to study the second lesson in our series on taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. As we talked about in the first sermon in this series, Proverbs 18, 21 tells us that our words can have the power of life and death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. God's desire for all of us is to learn how to control our tongues so that our words can bring life. So today in this lesson, we're going to study what I'm calling corrosive talk, which has to do with speaking words of complaining and criticizing. In the introduction to this series last month, I I grouped the sins of the tongue into five categories. And in this series, we're going to study a lesson on each one of them. After the sermon last month, I had a request from one of the members here to preach on this particular subject, number two up there, preach on it just before school begins which would be today. Now, after spending 40 plus years in the classroom, I can understand the connection between the beginning of school and complaining and criticizing. So that suggestion, that request was probably a good one. 
And you know, in, in that list of the sins of the tongue on the screen, this one is probably one that more people are guilty of than maybe some of the others. And it's one that probably more people, yes, even in the church, may pay less attention to than some of the others. We may not think too much about the corrosive words of complaining and criticizing that so easily come out of our mouths. Some of you may think it's really no big deal. And if that's the case, then I hope the sermon today will change your mind. So in this sermon today, I'm calling complaining and criticizing corrosive talk because we all understand the way that acid works. Now, different kinds of acid work in different ways, but they all basically have a way of burning through or eating through whatever they touch. And here's a quick little video that shows the destructive power of acid. You see, that's what corrosive words can do to whatever they touch. Corrosive talk can eat away at our spiritual life and our relationships. If we're looking for a way to destroy our relationship with God and with others, or a way to destroy our lives in general, then here it is. Give yourself over to complaining and criticizing. All we have to do is to devote ourselves to complaining pretty much about everything. Complain about the weather. We hear a lot of that. Complain about your job, your boss, your co-workers, your income. Complain about what's wrong with you, how you feel, your little aches and pains, how you've, how you've hurt yourself. Complain about your, your physical features, whether you have too much here or not enough there. Complain about your family, your background, your parents, your siblings, your spouse, or your children. Complain about how people drive, too slow, too fast. And yes, complain about the preacher's sermons. Too long, too boring, too harsh, not harsh enough. And on and on and on we could go. We can find a great, great many things in life to complain about. 
So how does that kind of complaining bless and benefit a person's life and their relationship with God and also with others? It's not a pretty picture. And if that's not enough, throw in the tendency to always be criticizing somebody about something. You know, if we're honest about it, I think we would all probably have to admit that we've done our share of complaining and criticizing. And that kind of corrosive talk has a variety of different sources and causes. It can come, for example, from anger that builds up inside of us and needs an outlet. And that probably happens to all of us at times. It can come from frustration that can be caused by just a lot of things going on in our, in our busy lives. It can come from our disappointment. When things don't go as we expected or people don't treat us like we would like. It can come from impatience with others and with ourselves. It can come from general stress that happens as a combination of all the things that we've mentioned. And it can even come from our own guilt. As we realize our own bad behavior or bad choices in life. So there are many reasons and causes to explain why we might be prone to this corrosive talk. Complaining and criticizing. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about the corrosive talk of complaining and criticizing? Is this one of those sins of the tongue that we might like to think of as little sins that God is just going to overlook? Well, you know, the Bible is really crystal clear that this kind of talk should not be coming out of the mouths of God's people. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says this. Everybody pay attention right here. Paul says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, the idea of being overly critical, being somebody who's just always criticizing, that's described in the Bible with words like strife, discord, being quarrelsome, or contentious. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, Solomon mentioned the quarrelsome person 
as being a wife. But we all know that the quarrelsome one could just as easily be the husband. So we could fairly substitute the husband for the wife in passages like these. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Or Proverbs 27, 15. A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. In 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul describes the qualifications of elders. And he says in verse 3 in that chapter, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. In Proverbs 26, 21, Solomon says, As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to a fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. And in Proverbs 22, verse 10, he says, Cast out the scoffer, and contention will cease. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. But nowhere in the Bible is complaining and criticizing more clearly and better described than in the account of the Israelites as they made their exodus from Egypt. That's an account that we're probably all pretty familiar with. You know, in the end, in the end, all of the Jewish adults over the age of 20 who had left Egypt were denied entrance into the promised land of Canaan. And why was that? Why was that? Well, it was because of their constant complaining and criticizing that was evidence of a lack of faith in God. The only exceptions to that were Joshua and Caleb. You know, we could actually spend several sermons studying all those examples on the screen of the Israelites complaining and criticizing. But today, for our purposes in this lesson, we're going to look at just one example right here from Numbers 13 and 14. Numbers 13 and 14. You may remember when the Israelites were right at the edge of the promised land for the first time, 12 spies were sent out by Moses to explore the land and then come back with a report. Now, the text that Wayne read in Numbers 13, 28 and 29 records that discouraging report. It says, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So after 40 days of exploring the land, 10 of the 12 spies basically said, we can attack those people. They are greater and stronger than we are. We can't do it. Verses 32 and 33 in the chapter, they said, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own side, and so we were in their side. But however, as I mentioned, two of the spies, two of them out of the twelve, Joshua and Caleb, try to counter that report. And they maintain that God was able to give his people the promised land. In Numbers 13, verse 30, Caleb said, Let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. You see, this whole account in Numbers 13 and 14 is a perfect example of the danger and destructiveness of complaining and criticizing. I want you to notice right here six things Six things that complaining and criticizing leads to in this account. First of all, complaining and criticizing ignores God's potential. The discouraging report of the ten spies was made from a, a godless perspective, a godless point of view. Surely, Surely if God had brought the people through the plagues of Egypt and parted the Red Sea to save them and had provided water from the rock when they were thirsty, surely if God had done all that, then surely God could deal with the giants in the land. But you know, the ten spies didn't factor that into their report. They weren't thinking about that. You see, we often ignore God's power and God's potential because we forget what God has already done for us. And we forget that he always keeps his promises. Secondly, complaining and criticizing leads to wrong conclusions and bad judgments. In Numbers 14, 2 through 4, we have this part of the account. It says, And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation. Now, how many is that? That's everybody. The whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. You see, their conclusions about God's intentions that I've highlighted right there on the screen in verse 3, their conclusions could not be further from the truth. But when our godly scrumbling really gets going, wrong conclusions and wrong judgments are easy to make. Thirdly, complaining and criticizing often leads to self-pity. As we just read in Numbers 14, verse 2, the Israelites declared... If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. You see, when people give in to complaining and criticizing, they often feel sorry for themselves. And they create those feelings of self-pity and mistreatment. Fourth, complaining and criticizing leads to fear. Twice in the account, there in verse 9 on the screen, twice in the account, Joshua and Caleb exhorted the people not to fear. When we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, like the Israelites did, we may believe the odds are against us. We may believe the situation is beyond our control. And if we leave God out of the picture, as they did, then we're going to feel threatened and insecure. And the more we complain and criticize, the more afraid we'll become. Fifth, complaining and criticizing breeds rebellion. Joshua and Caleb urged the griping Israelites not to rebel against the Lord. In chapter 14, verse 9 that we just mentioned, they said to the people, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the Israelites were ready to elect new leaders and they were ready to stone those who opposed their rebellious plans. You see, they were ready to kill Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. Kill them. Finally, number six. Complaining and criticizing results in God's severe judgment. God's judgment on the Israelites was quick and it was final. Their complaining and criticizing defamed and dishonored God's power and glory. And so God had to punish his people when they behaved this way. So God made them wander in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 years, 
One day for each year the spies had explored the land. One year for each day. Physically, physically in miles, they were very close to the promised land, as this map shows you. But spiritually, they were nowhere close to being able to enter and take the land because of their constant complaining and criticizing that was evidence of a lack of faith in God. And so they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, making no progress at all toward their destination. During those 40 years, a conservative estimate is that about one million Israelites died. That means that every day, on the average, 68 people would die, two to three people per hour. During those 40 years, everyone over the age of 20 would die, except for Joshua and Caleb. And a new, more faithful generation would grow up and would be allowed to take the promised land. You see, the example of the Israelites in this account is one that we ought to learn from and do all that we can to avoid. And you know, here's the, here's the really big question for us to think hard about today. If most of the Israelites were denied entrance into the promised land because of their complaining and criticizing, could we be denied entrance into the promised land of heaven for the same reason? I hope you know the right answer to that question. So how can we keep our hearts from developing a complaining, critical spirit so that our tongues will not spew out corrosive talk. Well, let me mention just a few practical suggestions. First of all, we need to be more realistic. The story is told about an old man who limped into a doctor's office, and he said, Doc, my knee hurts so bad I can barely walk. And the doctor looked him over and, and then he asked him, Sir, how old are you? And the old man proudly said, I'm 99. And the doctor just sighed and he said, Sir, you are almost 100 years old. And you're complaining that your knee hurts. What do you expect? And the old man said, Well, my other knee is 99 years old too, and it doesn't hurt. Pretty good answer. You know, we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. 
And we need to expect that things and people are not going to be always exactly the way that we want them to be. Realistically speaking, there are always going to be things and chances to complain and criticize. Our enemy, Satan, will make sure that we have plenty of things in life to find fault with. So we need to make sure that our expectations are in line with what is real, realistic. What I'm saying to you is this. Sometimes, sometimes we need to lower our expectations. Sometimes we may set ourselves up for complaining and criticizing because our expectations are way too high. If we expect that we're always going to get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, then we're setting ourselves up for a great big disappointment. If we expect that people are always going to do the right thing and do what's best for us, then we're in for a rude awakening. If we expect that life is always going to be easy and without challenges and problems and difficulties, then we're going to really struggle when things don't go that way. Truth is, truth is that life is often unfair and difficult. And many of us either have been or will be dealt, you might say, a difficult hand. In the real world that we live in, people that we trust will do us wrong. I've had that experience. Maybe you have too. In the real world that we live in, life-threatening diseases will strike. And loved ones will die unexpectedly. When things like those and a great many others happen to us, we may feel like we have every reason to, to complain and criticize, but we should not. We should not. As hard as it may be, we need to bite our tongues, as we say, and let God calm our spirits. You know, we know how bad things got for Jesus. And yet Jesus controlled his tongue. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Being able to control our tongues in those circumstances begins by being more realistic in our expectations. Secondly, I would suggest that we need to be more thankful. 
you know, the main cause of complaining and criticizing is focusing on the negative. Instead of thanking God for what we do have, then we complain about what we don't have. Instead of focusing on how far we've come in life and everything that God has done for us and how he has blessed us, so often we, we focus on how far we think we still have to go. Maybe you're not exactly right where you want to be right now in life. But you can thank God that you aren't where you once were. Maybe you don't have, for example, the best job in the world right now. Well, the job that you'd really, really like to have. But you can thank God that you do have a job. Just like we can always find something to complain or be critical about, we can always find something for which to be thankful. So rather than, rather than complaining about things like having to mow the yard which we're all having to do right now, or weed eat, or cut tree limbs, or work out in a field, or, or whatever. We ought to be thankful that we're healthy enough and physically able to do those things because there are plenty and plenty of people that aren't. Make a visit to the nursing home. And I guarantee that you'll leave feeling more thankful. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The thanklessness that comes out in complaining and criticizing it's not just a response to circumstances, but you know, it's really an accusation against God. When we complain and criticize because we're not thankful for everything that God has done for us, then that becomes really an accusation against God who has blessed us and allowed us to be right where we are. A heart of gratitude and thankfulness comes from a heart that loves God and recognizes all of the blessings of God. You know, there's a word called amnesia. We've all heard of that. And that word amnesia is defined as being a partial or even a total loss of memory. Now, spiritual amnesia could be defined as the forgetting about God's presence and God's deliverance and his many blessings. And that is a deadly, deadly disease that leads to corrosive talk. But the antidote for that disease is for us to remember, to count our blessings, be more thankful. 
Thirdly, I would suggest that we need to be more forward-looking. And what I mean is that rather than speaking words of complaint and criticism, we ought to speak more with positive expectations. Maybe things are not the way we would like for them to be right now. But we can believe and trust that God can change that in the future. Or that God will enable us to endure whatever the situation is. For example, right now, today, there are issues and directions in our country that Christians ought to be very concerned about. Rather than just complaining, we ought to be praying to God about those issues and looking to the future with hopeful and positive expectations because God is still in charge. God is still in charge. So as we bring our concerns and even our complaints directly to God, we can do that with the, with the knowledge that God knows and He cares. And He'll do what's best for us. That's looking forward with positive expectations. And finally, number four, I would suggest to you that we need to be different you know, the easiest thing in the world is to complain and criticize, but God calls on us to be different. God wants us as his children to do everything without complaining and arguing so that we will stand out from the world. When we don't complain and criticize like, a great many other people in the world often do, people will take notice. People will take notice that there is something different about us as members of the Lord's church. Let's go back one more time to Philippians 2, 14 and 15 that we've already read. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, by not complaining and criticizing as much, we can be like shining lights in the world. We live in a world full of wickedness. We are called to be lights that shine in the darkness. But how bright can our light shine if we're always complaining and criticizing? What message does that send to people outside of the church? The story is told about a preacher in England way back during the 1700s, 
who was considered at that time to be a rather spiffy dresser. So one Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie that had long ribbons that hung down on his shirt, something like this one here on the screen. So after the service, a lady walked up to him, and she asked him, she said, Brother, are you open to some criticism? Preacher said, Well, I guess so. What would you like to criticize? And she said, The ribbons on your tie are entirely too long and inappropriate for a man of God. So the woman took out a pair of scissors and cut off the ribbons on his tie. And there was a sudden hush that fell over the people standing there. The preacher calmly asked her, he said, Now, ma'am, may I borrow your scissors for a moment? She handed them to him. And he said, ma'am, are you open to some criticism? And she answered, well, I suppose I am. And the preacher said, all right then, stick out your tongue. Now, I'm not suggesting that we cut off our tongue. But if we want to be shining lights and be different from the world as God wants us to be, then we need to keep our tongues away from corrosive talk. And we can do that by doing one more thing. And it's four words that we mentioned in that first sermon in this series that you might remember, maybe. Four words. Think before you speak. Remember the acronym for the word think that we talked about in, in that sermon. Before you speak, ask yourself, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring or encouraging? Is it necessary and is it kind? In Matthew 12, Jesus says that our words will either justify or condemn us on the day of judgment. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So let's make every effort in our lives to make sure that the corrosive words of complaining and criticizing don't keep us from entering the promised land of heaven after the judgment. If you're not a Christian today, a member of God's family, the church, then you're outside of salvation and you have no hope. Christ invites you to accept his invitation today by believing that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
by turning away from your sins in repentance, by confessing the name of Christ and making him the Lord of your life, and then by being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. And then after baptism, by living a new and a faithful life in Christ. And that faithful life in Christ should include our desire and our effort to put away corrosive talk with God's help. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ in any way today to confess sin in a public way, to ask for prayers of the church, or to obey the gospel, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.